welcome everyone to the Nerd Journey podcast, episode number 138. We're joining you every week to talk IT career progression and bring you the advice we wish we'd been given earlier in our careers. I'm your host, John White, at BJourneyman on Twitter, joined by my co-host, Nick Cordy, at NetworkNerd underscore. Hey, Nick, how's it going? Hey, John, I am doing great. We are both pre-sales technical engineers with backgrounds in IT operations. We hope our career discussions will be vendor neutral, relevant across disciplines, and remain timeless. If you're enjoying our content, please drop us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. And if you want to get in touch with us, tweet or DM at Nerd Journey. Ultimately, we're just two nerds on a journey. A journey of virtual enlightenment. So let's take a trip. Awesome, Nick. Hey, so uh, this is part two of our discussion with Don Jones, right? Yes, indeed. I do love sequels, John, but you know, at the beginning of the sequel, you kind of have to review what happened in part one, don't you? Yeah, especially uh, if we want to make this a standalone, but you really should go back and listen to episode 137 if you hadn't. Yeah. In episode 137, we talked a little bit about Don's early career, how he rode the cycle to management and back to individual contributor and back to management. He had some great thoughts on teaching and writing and how management is really a different career path entirely. This week, we're going we're gonna to get into a little debate on job and career. They are not the same. Yeah, I also think um, we're going to start out almost right away talking about Don's book, Own Your Tech Career, which um, I found fascinating. Uh, it's, it's great little nuggets of ideas, you know, um, so I highly recommend that. Also, uh, before we get into the episode here, I want to mention that Don is having an event. Um, it's called Amp Navigator, and it is an outgrowth of something that he's doing called Ampere Club, uh, ampere.club, which is a service um, and community organized around uh, helping people uh, progress their technical careers. So that's right up our alley. Um, Amp Navigator is an event that has let me see, over 10 speakers. Past guest uh, Josh Duffney is on there uh, talking about the learner's rule. I'm really interested in hearing what that might be. Um, and uh, you know what? I'll, I'll let you go to the website and, and see some of the other topics. Just really exciting stuff. You know, accelerating your career, your career with community involvement. That's something that we've talked about before. Um, really interested to hear that session. Did you see that John White and Nick Cordy are going to have a session at this event? I can't oh believe it. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that's, that's so exciting. Uh, yeah, so this is a little bit of log rolling here because uh, we, we do have a session there. But, uh, it you know, we're we're super excited for the rest of the content, to be honest. Like, Yeah. Uh, we want to learn from all the other people. Yeah, don't don't go to this session to, to hear us. Like, go to hear, like, the 15 other people and uh what they're talking about but you know hopefully uh hopefully our participation is enough of an endorsement to get you interested in that uh event um but let's uh not delay any further let's listen to part two uh of our interview with don jones i'm really looking forward to uh, some of the things that he has to say and sharing it with all of you
So a lower level manager will get paid the same as a slightly higher level individual contributor because it's a different profession. And that is the premium that the market places on management skills. That's just free market economy. It's how it works. So it, it's a different job family. You know, you're no longer a programmer. You are a manager. It's a different job, and which is why a lot of people shouldn't do it if, if they don't want to do that job. Uh, I think the worst thing you can do, and this is the mistake I made a couple of times, is, is take on a management job without realizing that you are switching careers. You are going to be a lawyer now, not an accountant. Um, and I think that's where a lot of people get hung up. They get depressed about it. At least I did. Um, it's a big decision. And it's a decision that you should do knowing what the right outcome. Like this, these are the outcomes that this new job can create. And I want to do it because I want to do that job, not just because I want some more money or I want a better title. Like the, the rat race aspects of it are one of the things that infuriates me the most, particularly about American culture is this, we get out of school and obviously your first job is not going to pay that much, right? Cause you're, you're fresh. And so like, you're kind of getting some experience and you're looking for that opportunity, that pay raise, that title bump, that next pay. And, and when does it stop though? Like no one ever tells us when you can, you can just quit and just do your job. Um, one of the big things in, in my book, in fact, the first chapter is you have to define what success looks like in your life. What kind of life do you want to live? How much money is that going to take? How much time is it going to take? Because those are the, the, the balances with a job, right? A job gives us money and it takes time. So what kind of life do you want outside of work? What kind of job will offer that life? And that is your success. And now you have to chart a path to that success, just like you would plot a path on a GPS to a destination. And once you get there, you're there. You can stop, get out of the car and enjoy the scenery. Things are going to change, right? Young person, maybe get married, decide to have kids. Your definitions are going to change. Totally fine. Normal part of life, but redefine, like actually sit down, talk to your stakeholders in your life. What does success need to look like? I am now going to be very, you know, ruthlessly efficient about getting to that success. And then I'm going to stop. I'm not going to chase the next thing. I don't need to. I'm there. That's so interesting. Like, uh, you know, most for most people, they definitely don't think about an endpoint, right? It's this ever, you, like you get on the staircase and you're never going to stop climbing. Yeah. Right. And it, yeah. to the point where I think, you know, to your point, you know, they might be in an organization that doesn't have like a professional track beyond like P3 or P4. So they have to go to the management track yeah. thinking like that's the next highest version of, you know, you know, oh, I'm an engineer and being like a, you know, manager of engineers is like the natural next step, which is not, it just feels like it is right. You know why we, you know why we think it is, you know, why companies treat it like it's the next logical step. Um, why companies love to hire a good individual contributor and turn them into a manager if they can is because if you've been in that company for a minute, you have so much institutional knowledge about how that company operates that you will be able to be better as a manager than someone we bring in from the outside who has no idea what's going on. Like it, it, the, the ramp up time for a manager, especially the higher you go is just absurdly high because you, it's the, I don't like the word politics, but it's the personal relationships. It's the, 
It's the little secrets of how every organization operates. But if you've been there for a while, you know those things. And so, yeah, we'll try and teach you the management bits. We're really promoting you for your institutional knowledge. Uh, and, and that's why companies do it. And like just really recognizing that that's what's happening can help you kind of understand, all right, what's the right decision for me? Institutional knowledge network is probably part of that, you know, that can Huge. be wrapped, wrapped into that. But it's also like the short-sightedness of the organization to not know that what they really need is another step up on the rung of the professional track because you can keep that person and you're avoiding the, the Peter principle, is it, where you, you know, rise to your level of incompetence? <laughs> like that's it's, it's a little bit. I have a kind of a different take on it. Like, I feel that there's a difference between job and career. Your employer owns your job, right? They need to give you the tools that you need to do the job. So if you need this software, they need to give it to you. If you need this training, they need to give it to you. You own your career. Your career is bigger than your job. Your career is what gets you your next job. You own your career. You are responsible for whatever it needs to feed your career. If that means you need to go take a class on something that has nothing to do with your job, you need to invest in that. You need to pay for it if that's what's right for your career. And if your current company just doesn't have the, the space and the room to create a nice glide path for you to get promoted, well, it's fine. It's not their responsibility. Their responsibility is to give you the tools you need for your job. If you know your career needs to take you to a step they don't have, then you need to get your career in shape so that you can go to a company that does have that step. And that's all your responsibility. Yeah, you know what? Companies do need to do a good job of, of providing that when they can because acquiring new talent is so difficult and expensive and time-consuming. It would be better to keep the ones we've got and let them move up. But I, I tell my folks, like, look, if, if you outgrow us, I will write the recommendation letter for wherever you want to go. Like, I want to see you achieve your success. And we might not have that here. We just might not. And we're not responsible for that. But, but focus on it and chase it and, and let me know how I can help get you there, even if that means you need to leave. I would think that not every manager does that, Don. I, I love that attitude, by the way. I think that's fantastic. That's, that's, that's leadership, not management. Yeah, of course. Yep. Yeah. I really like that attitude, and I think every, you know, successful manager um, has had some version of that, you know, in their head when they're talking to their people. And and the fact of the matter is, is that not every organization has a need for that next level of professional yeah. ladder that you might be ready to progress to, right? Yeah. So, you know, if if the natural next progression for somebody is that, like, level five professional and this organization has no need for level five professionals, then... And that's why all my friends work for Microsoft now. <laughs> you know, bigger organizations have more rungs. I mean, that is the fact of the matter. And they have more needs for higher level individual contributors that are kind of taking on, you know, even then some of the higher level like leadership and, and maybe even a little bit of team management you know, yep. some of those skills, yep, a bit. right? Like, yep. Team lead. Yeah. So I just thought of an interesting question here, Don, on the topic to your philosophy on helping the person get to where they want to be. Let's say that someone has a conversation with you. Hey, I want to get to this level, Mr. Leader Don, and uh, you 
kind of be honest with them. I don't think we have that here. You need to look somewhere else. So at the per- at the time that person says, okay, I'll do that, do you start, like, in the back of your mind thinking that you're going to have to hire someone else or start the recruiting process deep inside? Oh, no. I, Is that... I ha- I started I started thinking that way before then. Okay. Um if you're on my team and you let me know that you need to grow and 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 I would hope that that you do. Like if you can let me know what success looks like, I'll help you map it. Um I'm still looking at the people behind you who are more, more junior to you. When I when I worked for Electronics Boutique, a lot of retailers have this uh, concept of a key holder. So these are the people who are allowed to open and close the store because they have a key. Um, they maybe have a key to the safe so they can get the cash drawer out. And they're the ones who do the opening and closing paperwork. Like they're the trusted employees, usually full-time or manager, assistant manager, something like that. The store I worked in, every single employee did every single job. I was a, I mean, the first stint I worked for them, I was in high school. So I, I was probably doing like three-hour shifts in the evenings, three times a week. I did closing paperwork. I did merchandise returns. I did... I did everything, literally everything. And when the time came for the company to need an assistant manager, like you, and and the barrier for me to move from that, you know, sales associate to assistant manager was zero because I already knew how to do the job. And then when the time came for me to be a manager, I already knew how to do the job. So it was very, very easy. So I... I'm a big advocate for exposing team members to as much different experience and responsibility as they are interested in taking on with the understanding that, you know, maybe not everything is your job, but, and and I don't want you to do it every day because I'm not paying you for it, but I'd like to expose you to it so that if an opportunity comes up, you're kind of ready. I think that's very healthy for organizations. Um, Oh, tremendously. I, I don't know that every organization is actually run that way, but. <laughs> well, you, you know, what's funny is one of the reasons we hate promoting people out of the company, right, is because then I got to hire someone to replace you and that's a pain in the neck. But if I've done my job as a manager, well, then I've already laddered out a likely succession. So off you go. Bye bye. Good luck. Love you. You are going to get promoted up to there, right? Like we're going to interview, but you're qualified for it. I've made sure of that. And then your position, there's someone. And now all I need to backfill is an entry-level position. And I don't have a lot of job requirements. It's easier for me to hire somebody. That's, that's like my ultimate feeling about how we fix some of the diversity problems we have in tech is we need to create more openings in entry-level positions. Like stop trying to hire, stop trying to hire P5 practitioners and create a promotion chain that leaves a lot of empty spots at the bottom because that's how we can bring young people in. You know, if I bring in a 20-year-old, they don't need to make $80,000, I hope. So they can take a lower-paying job that has fewer requirements, and I, if I'm confident in my ability about skilling them up, I can bring them up through the entire organization in whatever direction they might want to go or, or, you know, wish them farewell as they go off to another opportunity. Um, so I really think a lot about succession planning and about who in my organization is ready to move up. And like, I want, I want everybody ready to move up if possible. I love this idea of exposure to the different jobs, because I think you can be told about something about what it's going to be like, just like you can be told what it's like to be a parent, but until you experience it, 
you don't really know what it entails completely. And certainly you don't with just a little bit of exposure, but you know more than you did by just being told. Yeah, and and asking your leader to or manager to to explain things like in small words is important. You know, I, I have to make decisions sometimes and my, my team will go, well, like, go ahead, ask. Well, but why? Because our market indi- indicators are growth and gross margin. And when, you know, this particular thing is a cost of revenue and so that lowers our gross margin. So we can't do that because we need to get our gross margin higher. So we've got the room to pull the margin down by adding that cost of revenue. Like I'll run through that whole explanation until they, until they tell me, okay, yep, I totally understand now and get it. Um, because that's great exposure for them. They're going to understand more about why the company operates the way it does. They're going to be better lined up to make that type of decision themselves in the future. Um, I'm a huge advocate for when your team needs a decision of asking them for a recommendation and then walking through that recommendation and letting them modify it and then saying, yes, we will do what you just said. You're talking a lot about team development in a way that's, yeah. that I find fascinating. Um, because same here, I, I just don't think that, you know, not being in a managerial position, uh, in my life, I don't think I've ever, you know, thought about team development in that same way. Although I do have to say that like when we came over to like sales engineering, we had to think about, um, like a little bit more long-term planning and also a little bit more about like the leadership success metrics of the people that we were talking like if you aren't aligned with the success metrics of the organization then you can't sell anything right like that's one of the first things i learned about sales engineering so you have to understand like you know those metrics and 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 as an individual contributor i never thought to ask what those metrics were for my immediate manager much less you know the manager above that so i think that's one of those things like being a more effective individual contributor, you have to know to ask about those metrics and then align your effort with those metrics. It, it's a couple of things. I don't, I don't think about it as, as team development as much as I just think about it as teaching. Like at the end of the day, I love to teach and that's, that's what that is. The problem is that for most of us, learning has been a push activity. You know, we go to K through 12 uh, not all of us wanted to, I sure as heck didn't. And we're not asked to express our curiosity all that much. Maybe you had a really good teacher in government or social studies or something like that, that really kind of encouraged curiosity, but really we're being taught to pass standardized tests because that's what the teacher is measured on. Right. And so learning is push. We're told what to learn and then we're taught it. You go to college, it's pretty much the same thing. There's an agenda, there's, there's a curriculum. That's what they're going to teach. None of us really develop professional curiosity. Um, you hear people a lot of times use the phrase, oh, I'm a lifelong learner. And I hate, I hate those two words when they're used in that combination. Because it's such a long scoped thing, right? Like who's a lifelong anything? You know, I mean, am I a lifelong whiskey drinker? Well, I didn't start for the first 21 years, right? So clearly I'm not lifelong. It doesn't mean anything. I do a, a series every, every morning on my Twitter feed at, I think, um, 8 or 9 a.m. Pacific. There's a post that says inspiration for daily learning. And it's usually a Wikipedia article, and it's super duper random. Although sometimes there's, there's fun sequences, and you can kind of see the rabbit hole I went down. And every day I read 
a Wikipedia article. I time box this. I give myself 10, 15, 20 minutes and I'll follow some link. Maybe I don't read the whole article. I'll, I'll hit a link. I'm going, well, that's interesting. I'll, because it develops curiosity and you, your brain in a way is like a muscle. You know, you can go to the gym and you can increase the strength and endurance and flexibility of a muscle through doing exercises. Your brain does the same thing. When you force it to be curious and you force it to learn, it will become curious and it will be better at learning. And then when someone at work says something, you're going to treat it like a link in a Wikipedia article and your brain's going to go, what's that? What is that? And maybe you'll look it up later on your own, or maybe you'll, you'll go to that person and say, Hey, what is that? That curiosity, that turning, turning learning into a pull activity instead of push is what moves us forward. You know, that's what gives us the ability to expand our capabilities and, and to really nurture our career. Um, the thing that used to frustrate me the most, there's a, a technology in PowerShell called Desired State Configuration, DSC, and I, I would talk about it when it first came out. And uh, people will get really revved up about it. It's, it's actually really cool how it works. And folks would come up after a presentation and say, yeah, this is really cool. I'm, uh, I'm just sorry I'm never going to get to use it. Well, well, why? Well, we don't do that at work. Do you have a virtual machine? Like, you, are you not curious? Do you not want to play with this? Because if you're not, you're not learning. And like, whenever you do need to learn a thing, your brain's not going to be there for you. But if you, if you get it into learning condition, it, one of its survival mechanisms will be to make learning easier. You will learn faster and more effectively if you do it every day. It's like the gym. You got to do it every day or it doesn't count. So that's what that, that series of tweets is. It's inspiration for daily learning just to give you a reason to go make your brain be curious for a minute. You got to prime that weed eater if you want it to start on the first pull. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly it. It kind of feeds back into something that you mentioned a little bit earlier, which was um, kind of, and this was like a while back, but you talked about like, um, you know, nursing or accountancy as having like a more formal learning path than almost anything in technology, right? It, again, yeah. Nick and I are in sales engineering. Like there's no degree in college that you go to and, you know, the natural next step is, oh, and then you become an entry-level sales engineer, which is almost a thing that doesn't exist, right? I think it it seems like all, in a lot of tech, and especially tech where there's no set, you know, uh, learning path or career path, like for the entry-level, it's a lot more in that apprentice, journeyman, master like model, but there's no clear point that you go to to become an apprentice. Not in the U.S. Right. Um, other countries, Germany notably, does a far better job. Um, apprenticeships are, are much more baked into their professional culture with ours. Um, it is a shame. There are companies who do it. Um, I've, I've worked with a couple of banks who've almost given up on hiring people with skills. Um, they hire kids out of high school and teach them skills and put them through apprenticeships. Um, I was an apprentice. It exists in the trades, right? You know, carpentry, plumbing, concrete, all those things have very formal apprenticeships. There is zero reason as an industry we could not do that. Um, there's two reasons we don't. One is very few companies know how to use learning as a tactical business tool. A lot of them see it as overhead, or it's a fire drill. Like, oh, we have an initiative and now everyone has to learn 
X. But because we don't treat it as a, a part of the business that we're constantly operating and iterating and improving on, it's not there for us when we need it. Um, if a company was confident, and, and so this is a funny thing. Run the math for a second. Like everybody complains about the problem with diversity in tech and every single company says they're committed to solving the problem. But if you were really committed, anyone can learn tech, right? Like setting aside certain aptitudes for, you know, you're going to be good at programming or network engineering or, or whatever else. Anyone can learn to do something in tech. If that's the case, and we really care about diversity, why would we not get really good at teaching those skills and then we could hire for the diversity that we, we say we want? Instead, we hire for the skills, but I can't teach you to have a different cultural background. So like, I can't ever fix that problem. I can't ever generate the diversity I want. But if I can confidently state that I can teach skills, well then like it, it's wide open. I can move in whatever direction the business needs because I know... I know how to teach my people how to learn. They know how to learn. I know how to teach them. I know how to measure it at everything. You know, the, the phrase is every company now is a tech company. That means every company has to be a learning company because tech doesn't stand still. It's not the lumber industry where we haven't had a new tree in a hundred years, right? Everything is constantly changing in tech and it requires constant learning. So if you are a tech company, you have to be a learning company. If you're a learning company, nothing is forbidden. You can have the exact workforce you need and want at any minute of the day because you can confidently teach skills. And I think that's something that executives need to, to triple down on. I think they need to hire the people who can make that happen. I think they need to make that part of the culture. And, and that doesn't mean, oh, we have a culture of learning. That, that phrase makes me a little nauseous sometimes because it gets thrown around so much. It means we know how long it takes to teach and we're not going to roll out an initiative with one week's notice. Like we're going to back into okay, this is going to take us eight months. That's going to be an investment, but here's the return we're going to get, right? It's all about managing the business. The reason that that, that hasn't crept up as a, a bigger problem is because most businesses are bad at it. Um, the few who aren't tend to stand out in their fields, but everyone thinks, well, just because they're good teachers, that's too simplistic. That can't be it. And so it doesn't get duplicated. Um, you know, it's a hard thing to do. Right, if you're a publicly traded company, especially you, you live and die by your quarterly earnings, and to go to the investors and say, "Yeah, we're taking a whole team offline for eight months to teach them stuff," doesn't sound good. And yet, that's how you you know 10x your company at the end of the day. So this gives me deja vu. I think this goes back to every classroom teacher who was asked, "Why do we need to learn this?" You just answered. <laughs> yeah, that was the best answer I've ever heard to that question. Yeah, so I, I apprenticeships. I would love to see that. You know, the Department of Labor in the U.S. has got amazing guidelines for it. It's just a matter of knowing it's a long-term investment. My apprenticeship was four years, right? The, the military invested literally millions of dollars in training me and then kind of sort of laid me off. Um, but that's the military. But, like, like we've got to have that longer-term workforce thinking or you, you'll never be able to have all the nice things that you want. I think that um, there's also a class barrier to it. Um, and there's that terminology of apprentice, you know, journeyman, like that is very trades oriented. And people, I feel like in a certain context, don't want to be associated with that. 
right? Like there's yeah. this very much like, yeah. oh no, this is a white collar job and we don't do that in the white collar. It's funny because one of the, the people I know who makes the most money is a concrete contractor. Like he drives a, a 150 King Ranch edition. That's probably an $80,000 truck because concrete's expensive and concrete work is expensive and he can charge for it because there's not enough concrete people. And he, he came up as an apprentice. Um, I agree. There, there is a, uh, around the, the late sixties when American, you know, going to four year college kind of became a mandatory thing for kids. There was this idea that working in a, a labor position, you know, in a trade was somehow beneath everyone. Because a lot of those parents, the boomers especially, did work in trades and they wanted something more for their kids. And I understand that. But like, we're not all going to be doctors. Um, and in, in more ways than not, IT is a blue collar job. Like you might wear a polo shirt to work, but, but it's labor. You know, if, if you look at what we've traditionally considered to be white collar jobs, setting aside management, you know, law, medicine, things like this, those trades operate in fundamentally different ways than, than IT really does. We don't behave in any way. Like we don't have professional licensure or we're barely regulated. Like we don't, we don't look like a bank, right? Banks are white collar. Um, so it, it's weird that we feel bad about it because plenty of blue collar labor jobs pay great. Like you can do really well. You can support a family and, and, and you get free time and all the great things that a lot of us want. It's not nose to the grindstone every single moment. Um, yeah, you know, we use, we use the word intern instead. Intern's not quite the same thing as an apprenticeship. Apprenticeship's a longer term commitment in my mind. Uh, I wish I wish we could get past that. I wish we could tell kids, please do not take out $100,000 in loans when you are 18 years old just to go get a piece of paper that will not help you at all. Instead, why don't you learn to code, learn C Sharp or learn Java or learn JavaScript because you're going to get a job and you're going to get it quicker and you won't have to take very many loans, if any. There's a joke about the trades where I think it goes a doctor is, uh, you know, has a plumber over to do some plumbing work. And afterwards, the doctor's shocked when he sees the bill. And he says, I just can't, I just didn't know it was going to cost this much. And like, you know, and the plumber goes, you know, makes a face and goes, well, I don't understand. How much money do you make? And the doctor tells him, you know, it's like $200,000 a year. And the plumber goes, oh, yeah, that's how much I made when I was a doctor. <laughs> right. Yeah. There's still there's still the class barrier. Yeah, yeah, there is. Right, like the the those people, you know, I say those people with with air quotes, you know, they might make what you know way more than you do. Like the the typical you know master electrician is going to make way more than the typical like you know um, non tenured you know literature professor. Yep. Right, but there's still a class barrier between. Yeah, those there is two there is that jobs. distinction. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I do wish we. You, you're starting to see some movement on it now. Um, there's a lot more large companies because of the the just crappy condition of the labor market, right? It's there's so many shortages of of certain professions. You're seeing more companies turn to insourcing programs, meaning they're going to people who are in the company. Maybe they're a business analyst or a project manager. They have a ton of institutional knowledge. They know how the co the company works. They know the cu customer base and everything else, and they're teaching them tech skills. They're teaching them to be data analysts or programmers or network engineers or whatever they need because you can teach those skills. The other things you're hiring for, institutional knowledge, customer knowledge, you can't teach that as easy. 
So there are a lot more companies now that are kind of being forced into it and they're finding that, yeah, it's an investment and it's, it's hard, but it's worth it. Like the return is there. So I'm kind of hopeful that, you know, maybe the, maybe the needle will swing the other direction. Yeah. You know, hopefully we're starting to come out of um, lockdowns and, you know, fear about COVID. But, you know, one of the things that we've noticed is this distortion in the labor market yeah. and what people were willing to work for before, you know, and suddenly they realize, oh, wait, I wasn't actually thriving. I was hustling. I was barely getting by or I wasn't getting by, you know, and what I really need to do is something else. Well, that's, that goes back to what I said earlier. People had a year plus to breathe and think about it for a minute and decide what they wanted out of life and started thinking about, okay, what kind of career is going to get me what I want out of life? And now they're starting to voice those, you know what? I want more, more me time. I want remote because I don't want to spend two hours commuting each way each day. Uh, and they're starting to demand the things they want. And the labor market's in a position right now where they can, they can make those demands and they can get away with it. And that's, I think that's fantastic. You know, people taking ownership over their careers and shaping the market uh, is, I mean, that's tremendous. That's going to have a, a, a positive multi-generational effect. For sure. If that happens, then I'm, I'm very excited about the future of America. Yeah. Yeah, I'm too. I'm, I'm fairly optimistic most of the time anyway, so. Maybe this would be a good time, Don, to share what you're doing with Ampere Club. I feel like that fits exactly what we were talking about. Yeah, so um, HTTPS, Ampere.club, A-M-P-E-R-E, is a project I wanted to put together to help technology professionals who are interested in owning their career to connect with other people who are interested in owning their career. So there's a, a free option. You can go sign up. Um, it's a monthly newsletter article. And then there's, you know, some other assets that come around with it, but it's about, it's about building soft skills. It's about building career skills. It's about career management advice. It's about building business acumen. It's about all these kind of things we've been talking about. Um, the paid version is like 60 bucks a year and it's weekly. Uh, and then we're doing an event in October, a virtual event called um, AMP amp navigator. And so I've got a couple dozen speakers who are coming together to speak on these topics, like real experts, as well as sessions from some recruiting firms on like, what's the outlook for various different, like, if you want to point your career in a different direction, here's a good direction to think about it. So just a lot of intelligence. Um, that's free. If you're a paid member, it's 50 bucks. If you're not, I, I'm, I'm like trying to keep everything like to cover platform costs, basically. Um, you get a 35% discount on my own your tech career book, that leadership, not just for bosses ebook I'm writing. That's free. That's included. So there's a whole bunch of assets around that and we'll be standing up. I haven't decided I'm still doing some research. Uh, I don't know if it'll be a, like a, a Slack workspace or something else, but a place where we can just connect where we can talk about these things, where people can ask questions and get advice. Um, I'm offering, you know, one-on-one -on -one career coaching sessions with folks who just want to dig into the specifics of their situation and, just bounce it off somebody and get some feedback. Um, so yeah, um, Ampere Club. It's it's kind of, you know, it, it's a way I think not only for myself, but for a lot of other people to maybe share some of their experiences, their failures, their successes, and then let everyone else look at that and pick up what, what seems applicable to them and, you know, use what they can of it. That's super exciting. And uh, maybe another, like, you know, type of um, acceleration um, project for, for people out there right, who are looking 
to yeah, practice it's, that muscle, right? Of Yeah, whether of, you're kind of at the beginning of your career or, or in the middle of it or, or even toward the end. You know, uh, we've done some articles on on what it's like in tech as an older person. You know, there's a lot of age bias in tech. You get into your 60s and, and, and stuff like that, and people treat you different. Um, I, I turned 50 this year, and, you know, I, I feel it a little bit sometimes. Just all kinds of stuff. Like just and, and so even though it comes out in newsletter form, you can actually get on the website and see all the back content too. So it, it works out every year to be like 60,000 words of content. So it's, it's like a book every single year. Well, and this goes back to what we were talking about earlier. Uh, everybody has something to contribute, something they can share to to teach somebody else, but also it boosts their career in the process. Yep. Yeah, and honestly, sometimes just asking a question is helping other people because an answer will come of that, and maybe they were too shy to ask the question, or maybe something else in the answer kind of flipped their thinking. So even just engaging and asking questions is a way of helping other people. Like it's a way of moving a conversation along that might uncover some, some goodness for someone. That's so interesting. I think that Nick and I both got our start and maybe our career accelerations by participating in, in, um, you know, specialty, uh, communities. Yeah. Um, and, and the one that we both kind of came out of was spice works. Yeah. Um, and, it's so interesting because at the beginning you can be a question asker and then over time you start to see the patterns of the questions that get asked and what the answers are. And just almost by participating or reading or by osmosis, or really it's a learning process, um, you, you just, there's a, an enrichment that goes on in your own brain. And there is. So the precursor book to own your tech career was a self-published book called be, uh, be the master and the title came from that whole journey uh, apprentice journeyman master sequence and I, I had written a blog article it's back in 2017 maybe on on donjones.com and it was called be the master or go away and the the you know the, the the premise of that was it's fine for you to engage with a community as an apprentice and ask a lot of questions but like every person who helps you is creating a debt on you and at some point, you need to, to repay that debt. And the way you do that is by paying it forward to someone else. If you don't eventually intend to become a question answerer, then you've got no business asking the questions. So like, focus everything on, you know what, even though that question was already answered in the forums, I kind of have a different take on it. And I'm just going to you know, amplify that a little bit. Contribute. Like That's the thing. If other people are offering their time... And, you know, then you get into the whole imposter syndrome. I'm not good enough. And we talked about that and you definitely are. So, you know, just get over that and put yourself out there. I have seen so many people just in the the PowerShell community, uh, which is a, you know, really kind of a smaller niche side of, of IT operations and, and, and mostly Microsoft at that. I've seen so many people finally get over their fear, start answering questions and then kind of get addicted to it. And, and become super helpful. And now they, they run the PowerShell and DevOps Automation Summit Conference. You know, they, they do user groups. They get MVP awards from Microsoft. Uh, all because they finally just, you know, got over that first hump and posted that first answer and found that, wow, that was well-received. It wasn't so scary after all. I think I'm going to come back and do more. And, and it grows. Like when you do that, you're showing someone else that it's okay. 
you know, and, and that it's okay to make a mistake. It's okay to be wrong. You know, you're not going to get crucified for it. And if you do, people will jump to your defense. Like it's okay. Um, so yeah, it, it, it's, it's hugely important. Spiceworks is a great example of a community that produces just a, a lot of really good contributors and a lot of good help in the world. Yeah. And it sounds like from what you're saying, we shouldn't be so focused on how many likes and reshares and retweets of the content we're sharing or how many spice ups. No, look at it this way. If, if, if the internet didn't exist and you had the ability to walk into a community and help one kid learn something that eventually just unlocked their life, would you do it? Or would you say, no, you know, it, really need to be a hundred kids. Like, unless it's a hundred kids, I'm, I'm not in like nobody would do that. Nobody's a jerk like that. It's the same thing. It only takes one person to make it worth your time. I, I honestly do think it's a serious career accelerator too. Um, I yeah, definitely no, remember it's... being, yeah, in, in organizations where the best person at doing a thing was not the most valuable person to the company because right. that person could not, or was unwilling to teach other people how they were doing that job and how they were being that successful. So the person ampli- who was amplifiers, best, amplifiers yeah. are worth more. Absolutely. And it's a huge, it's a huge part of your personal brand. Like as a hiring manager, hiring is terrifying. Like I know from the interview side, the interviewee thinks it's terrifying, but like all you have to do is get through an hour long phone call. I'm making a decision about inflicting a human being on my carefully nurtured team and if I screw up, it's not like I can just fire you. Like there's a process I have to go through to prove that you're you're terrible or, you know, inimical or whatever. It's terrifying. But if you apply and I can be like, okay, here we go, internet. Let's let's wow. Man, this person is is committing to these these GitHub projects all the time and 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 they're just they're knocking it out of the ballpark. They're helping all the time. Small stuff, but they're helping. They're over here in these forums doing all this stuff. Oh, look, they've, they've got a blog. They kind of just, they post about the mistakes they made and what they learned. Yeah. I, I like that person. Like I want that type of person, you know? So that community engagement, particularly in the tech industry right now is, is a tremendously important part of your personal brand. And you can't start doing it on the day you decide you want a new job. Like you got to dig that well long before you intend to be thirsty. Or the week before MVP or V expert applications are yeah. due. Yeah. Yeah, you really got to get in and dig that. So yeah, you know, jump in. Um, I time box it. Like I set aside time. I I inventory my time. So I have a, a device called a time flip that helps me figure out where I'm spending my time. It's like an enormous 12-sided die with different activities on each face. And you, you turn it up and a piece of software tracks that. Um, and I found that I preferred to eliminate my Facebook time and focus instead on Q&A forums time. And that's how PowerShell.org became a thing. That's how it sprung into existence. I, I just decided to delete this. I would only do it on the weekends. Turned out that was mentally healthy beyond words. Um, toxic cesspool Facebook is. And so I, I time box those things. You know, I'm going to give myself 30 minutes to do this. Or if you want to use the Pomodoro technique, I'm going to give myself 15 minutes to do this. And then I'm going to move on to the next thing. So it's not going to take over my life. I can do some good, I can contribute, I can build my brand, I can be out there, I can learn, you know, what other people are, are struggling with, and then I can move on to the next thing I have to do. I think um, that makes absolute sense. And also, while you were talking, I looked up timeflip.io, 
yeah. and was fascinated yeah. just by the device. It is a cool uh, little device. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think the danger for all of us is to think that, you know, a thing is going to bring us discipline, you know, but things can help us like, you know, technique can help the thing, bring discipline. the thing I like about, so, you know, the Pomodoro technique is use a kitchen timer to create time boxes. Right. And it's called that because the, the guy who, who came up with the idea had a tomato shaped kitchen timer that's intended to create discipline. Um, I will use that now and again, particularly if I know my day is going to be very fragmented and I'm not going to have a lot of focus time. The time flips, not the time flips about inventorying reality. Like that you can't force yourself to work eight solid hours. No human being can do that. Our brains aren't designed for it. You need that downtime. Inventorying it lets me see what reality looks like. Like I did it all week. You know what? This, this felt like a pretty good week. Like I, I feel, okay, what does a pretty good week look like? Well, you burned this much time in the corners. Like, you know what? Okay. Next week. Let me see if I can maybe pick up another 15 minutes to do this other thing I've been wanting to do. I'm going to leave everything else alone. It's fine. It worked out okay. See how that goes. We'll inventory it. I'll see how I feel at the end. I'm like, you know, you know what? I, I didn't. I, I missed that 15 minutes. I want to take it back for YouTube cat time, right? It's just inventorying and then making a decision. The problem is if you have no data, you can't make a decision. So our time just vanishes into the ether. We don't really know where it goes. Um, my goal was just to find out. And then I could choose to make some decisions. Um, you know, when I, I, when I work on my novels now, um, I time box my outlining because I found out that I get really good outlines in about an hour and I get really bad outlines in about two hours. So an hour, I stop, I'll come back to it the next time. And that gets me through the novel writing process, which is, you know, markedly different from writing a tech book, as you can imagine. Um, so it, it's, it's just like, you know, what, what inputs resulted in what outputs, and then I'm going to try and manage towards the outputs I want. Very different from the George Lucas sit at a desk all day to write a screenplay until you're finished. Yeah. I mean, screenplays aren't that long. That's the cool thing, right? Like if you think about the, the actual, like they're not that long. They might be 60 pages sometimes. It's not that big a deal. But uh, yeah, I've, I've, I have definitely found that there is a point of diminishing return. And then for me, there's a point of negative return where I'm actually breaking things if I keep going. So you, you learn when to stop yourself. There's a couple of different things there. Like, you know, like producing and editing are two different tasks, right? Yeah. Like you, you can't edit like on the fly or else you'll just never get anything done. Yeah. I've, I've listened to authors with, uh, you know, severe, uh, writer's block and, and it was always like, you hear them talk about writer's block and it's always about editing while they're writing. Like George R. R. Yeah. Martin with the, uh, wheel. I have of- never suffered from writer's block ever. Not once. <laughs> um, because I outline, I know what I'm going to write and then I just, I write it. And then, at some point later, I will go back and reread it. And I might, that's when I'll edit. You know, I might say, okay, look, I really need to expand this section. So let me just, I'll make a bunch of blank lines in the manuscript and, and I'll, I'll add some notes and I'll come back to it later when I'm in the mood. But, you know, I'm in editing mode now and that's different. And I'm kind of looking for, you know, where autocorrect screwed up before I send it. So I'm like, it's not totally embarrassed when I send it to my copy editor uh, and my, my alpha readers and everything else. And, and yeah, then I'll come make another pass as a writer again. And I'll go fill in those areas and fix the things that I noticed before. So yeah, you, you definitely do have to context switch a little bit. And 
I, I've always known what I'm going to write about. Like my outlining process is just stupid detailed. And that doesn't mean like in a fiction book, the story still evolves. Like I'll be writing along and I'll find myself writing something I'm like, Oh my God, this is good. This is not what I had planned at all, but it's fantastic. I'm going to finish this up, but then tomorrow I'm going to go back and update the outline to account for this. Like I'm going to bring and make sure I close all those threads and everything else. So it's still a creative process, but if, if I'm not in the mood to write, I just don't sit down and write. Like if, if today's not a writing day, I know it when I wake up, my brain's not there. Uh, I just do something else. That's why I always have like three or four projects going, right? There's always something I can productively do uh, if today is not the day to do this. Don, I, I feel like um, we might need to have you back to talk about. <laughs> Happy to. Just even like, you know, I can think of one thing off the top of my head, which is the transition for, for people out there who are looking to, you know, add something to their plate to, to maybe, you know, getting getting started in blogging or, or something like that, you know, that um, from doer to content developer would be yeah, absolutely. You know, just one topic. But um, but I, I, you know, really want to thank you for your time this evening. Absolutely. Just, just spending the time that you have. and uh, It was a fun chat. I really enjoyed talking to you. So, yeah, make a like, list. I'll, we're getting I'll the master class right now. Listeners. Happy to do it again. For, for sure. <laughs> um, one more time. Can you tell us your socials, uh, where people can find you, follow you? Yeah. So uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter, I'm, I'm concentrated Don. My main website is donjones.com. That's, that's primarily about my writing now. Uh, and then Ampere Club is, is my career-oriented project. Um, so if, if you're interested in like the Own Your Tech Career book, you'll find that on donjones.com. All of my tech books, all my fiction books, everything else are, uh, are all there. And, and Ampere Club was ampere.club? Yep. Okay, terrific. And we'll yeah, have one of the fancy of new domain there. domain names. Yeah, <laughs> you, uh, you somehow you got Don Jones. Um, <laughs> I had to buy but that. You also went Ampere Club. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no, I had to buy Don Jones uh, several years ago. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Well, with a name like John White, you know, I just figured it would never be possible. <laughs> Same situation. Yeah. I just I got lucky and found someone who's like, yeah, I don't really use it. Just give me like five hundred bucks. I'm like, okay, I can do that. <laughs> yes, please. Wasn't one of these seventeen thousand dollar things. I'm like, nope, sorry. <laughs> Terrific. Well, Don, thanks a lot for joining us on their journey. Really appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. say as Don was talking about developing the people on his team all I could think back to was our episode number 45 career conversations with your manager and I wondered as we were going if we had covered all the things that he talked about with his people I'm sure we didn't there were some great nuggets there I love the fact that he as a leader slash manager whichever one you want to call it leader really was more concerned about the success of his people and helping them achieve it than retaining them at the company. He even said he would write someone a letter of recommendation if they had outgrown the company and needed to move on to something else. I think that's fantastic. Hopefully we could all have a boss like that at some point. And I liked the point that he makes about we tend to strive to move higher and higher on the career ladder, but we don't ever stop. 
And once you hit what your definition of success is, it's okay to stop and enjoy it. You don't have to keep pushing for more and more and more. Otherwise, maybe you'll grind yourself away to nothing, like Tom Hollingsworth said in previous episodes. Yeah, that's definitely true, especially, you know, considering the fact that the higher up you go, you know, even if you're on an individual contributor track, you know, the higher the expectations are upon you and your time and how productive you are. And maybe if you're really good, you can be incredibly productive with, you know, very, very little time investment. But, you know, that tends to not actually be the case. You know, usually it's a little bit more involved. You know, it was it was definitely something to uh, to to review. I was like, yeah, I don't know. You know, what is success? Like, you know, what what does that mean? And how how can we avoid it being more? The answer for success always being more than I have right now, right? Um, I also really liked you know the discussion that came up about the trades and versus tech learning, you know, that progression of apprentice to journeyman to master. Um, you know, it's very difficult for me to not bring that up every time somebody uh, mentions it. And of course, in in, uh, in part one, you know, Don talked about that uh, apprentice aircraft mechanic electronics. Okay, I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was definitely like a trade title and trade progression. And I was like, oh, man, this is, you know, exactly what I always want to talk about. Um, getting into it and, and finding some kind of uh, career progression. I also liked that point that amplifiers are worth more in an organization. So if you can always strive to be an amplifier, like you're you're going to find a place of value. And and then finally, it was almost like a throwaway at the very end, but uh, the time flip and the time inventory. I definitely uh, looked into that. I I haven't actually purchased one yet. Like I was like, ah, I don't know if I need like one more tool. Like, you know, as opposed to just more discipline, like implementing uh, systems that I have now. But, you know, I'm curious and circling around it. So if I ever do get one, then uh, I'll ask Don if he has a, a promo code. He had it down to the 15 minute mark. You, if yeah. you remember, he said, okay, maybe I'll spend 15 more minutes in this area and then analyze. And if I don't like it, well, I'll take it back. And I'm like, ooh, I need to work on my inventorying. Yeah, yeah. That was that was really cool. Also, just you know, one more plug for Ampere Club and the Amp Navigator event. Um, I think we talked about it, but you know, just in case you're on the fence, you know, Ampere.club, check it out. There's no uh, no cost to like taking a look at the club and taking a look at the event Amp Navigator to see what the topics and who the speakers are. That is October seventh and eighth of 2021. I'm sure it'll be happening in 2022. It's completely virtual this year. Okay. Just a reminder, we want people to subscribe and give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. We want to know if we're being helpful and are always looking for interesting questions to ponder. We're collectively on Twitter, at Nerd Journey. All right. Farewell, listeners, and tune in next time as the journey continues. I'm John White, at Journeyman for Nick Cordy, at Network Nerd underscore, signing off. Adios. Well, anything else before we get out of here? Hang on. I had a thought and I lost it a second ago. Trades, amplifiers, time inventory, learning, progression, organization. Things you would hear in a Don Jones interview.
Is this hundred thousand dollar pyramid? No, it's right. just saying all the words that I said to see if any of them sparked what you were thinking of. Nah, I didn't. 